0: Thank you, Michelle. We often come into a church service with a lot on our minds. Kids, COVID, cares, you name it. Stop. Take a breath. Just breathe. And consider, if this is worth considering, what I'm about to ask you to do will only take a moment, but it will also take the rest of your lives. You don't have to sign up for a Bible study, you don't have to commit a block of time to do anything, you don't have to buy anything, and you don't have to arrange for babysitting. It will be easy. But at first, it may take a lot of discipline. Then it will become natural, say as natural as breathing. And in many ways, it will be effortless. And yet, it will be the most important thing you do. The most fruitful thing. The most enjoyable thing. What I'm asking you to do this morning, and what I'm talking about, is learning to live in the presence of God. This is something that I have longed for. And so that in many ways, this message is for me, as well as for you. Author Ken Boa writes, My goal is simple. To learn with you how to practice the presence of God better in every facet of our lives. By practice, I mean discerning and developing habits of awareness of God's presence. If not all day, every day, at least much more often than we do now. The Bible calls this abiding or remaining in Christ, walking with God, or sometimes keeping in step with the Spirit. Whatever we call it, it is important. Jesus said we can accomplish nothing apart from him. I believe that. I mean, he holds the whole universe together, so if he had a confused thought, boom, this would all go up in smoke, right? So not only that, but even given the fact that we live in this world and we have a body that he provides and he holds everything together, still, we could not accomplish anything of importance, anything of value apart from him. He needs to be involved in our life daily, moment by moment, so that we can accomplish his will and experience the joy in life that he wants us to have. Well, outside is a great big world all around you. It clamors for every bit of your attention. And because it's loud and nonstop, it often wins. Christians are often taught that our main line of defense is a daily quiet time. I'm in favor of that. I think that's a great way to start the day or end the day. But is that enough? We tend to divide life into the spiritual, you know, things like coming to church, and the non-spiritual, the physical, like work, duties at home, and the rest. But I don't see that division anywhere in Scripture, do you? I can't think of a place. So we see, we need a moment by moment communion with God. Ken Boa says, for many people, one writer comes to mind when they hear the phrase "practicing the presence of God." Brother Lawrence. Maybe you've heard of this well-known Frenchman from the 17th century. Poor dishwasher and cook in a monastery there. Brother Lawrence experienced so much peace and joy in God's presence that people were drawn to him. He mentored many during his lifetime. And after he passed away, his, his words, as well as the reflections of others, were gathered into a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. This humble man came to the point where he he wanted to keep his mind in his holy presence and recalling it as often as he found himself drifting away from God. He developed a habitual, silent, secret conversation with the soul of God as he went through his business. His time wasn't only sacred when he was in the cathedral Since his area of service was in the kitchen, that became his place of communion with his Lord and Savior. Since he worked in the monastery kitchen, the prayer that he is best known for is this, Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Brother Lawrence's Honest advice and his obvious passion were for spiritual matters. He rejoiced in everyday tasks, prayed constantly, and was known for his kind-hearted spirit towards others. Brother Lawrence experienced so much peace and joy in God's presence that people were drawn to him. He mentored many in his lifetime. We might call him... The minister of pots and pans and things. (laughs) James Hughes, one of the best ministers I have ever known. Though he never took a paycheck, never got recognition, but he ministered. He took interest in others. Some of you have seen people who took interest, but in the end, it was really about them. You know, how they could leverage the relationship for their own ends. James Hughes was the opposite. He poured his life into others. James had a walk with Christ. He was much like the story today of Brother Lawrence, he knew Christ. He was raised in a home where the gospel was not clear. And once he left home, he didn't venture back into church for, I believe, about 17 years. But the Spirit of God wasn't done with James. And when James had his soul rekindled with a fire to get to know God better, he plugged in and he came to know Christ in a deeper abiding kind of way. He ministered to many. I I know of one individual who went through a very difficult time in his life and wound up at the church where James was attending, where James was an elder, and later where James was chairman. And James poured his life into this particular individual. That person is Thomas Lane, here with us today, and our current church chairman. Thomas You have helped us navigate through several challenges, some major ones. And I've seen you handed some things that would have shook most people, and you were unflappable. You stood the uh, the test there. And you've helped us navigate through the change in buildings, often being here to make sure things were handled correctly. Also, you are my valued friend. And the good qualities which I saw in James... I see in you. You know, there's a scripture that says every disciple fully trained will be like his teacher. James Hughes was like Christ, and you are like James. And I'm thankful for the privilege of seeing that, of seeing disciples who make disciples, who make disciples. Well, many of us, like Brother Lawrence, feel that we have wandered from his presence, from God's presence. And when this happened for Brother Lawrence, he developed a prayer life, not just a quiet time, but a pattern of life in which he drew close to God. The idea was to work while praying and pray while working. In other words, all things matter to God our work, our home life, everything. And this communion affects all of our life. When we are thanking God and praising Him for His goodness and how that has overflowed into our lives, we are blessed. The routine becomes not just routine. It becomes spiritual. And if we're we're enjoying fellowship with God, and something, say, drops at work, don't we handle it better if we're walking with the Lord? And instead of seeing work as just being, you know, in the doldrums, <laughs> you know, boring, can it become a joy? Even something to look forward to and love A man was sent to interview people on the street about this new grand cathedral being built. And he decided to interview workers. The first worker was working on a wall and they said, What are you doing? And he said, Well, I'm building a wall. The second worker they interviewed said, I'm building a large building. But the third one had great joy. And when they interviewed him and asked what he was doing, he said, I'm building a grand cathedral to the glory of God. Which of them do you think enjoyed work? Take the same principle and apply it to our home lives. If you're blessed by having a spouse, how might your marriage improve if you're constantly communing with the Lord God? And the impact that he's making in our lives Is input for our marriage. Wives, if you begin to have this kind of communion or have this kind of communion and you let it spill out into your home life, how might it impact your spouse? You might be able to write the book, How to Have a New Husband by Friday. (laughs) Because as you are filled with the Spirit of God and he sees that, he's so moved, it transforms him. Or husbands, you work a long day, you come home, you may need some time off. That's understandable. But make a plan to do something for your wife that she will appreciate. Perhaps, without being asked, go into the kitchen and do the dishes. Do things for her that will please her. Tell her something about her that you really love and appreciate and watch her blossom. Allow the communion with God spill out into everyday lives, including our children, our friends, co-workers, people at school and college. Imagine drawing close to God for long periods of time throughout your day, being at peace, experiencing joy, finding yourself unflappable, you know, able to handle setbacks. If I'm not close to God, maybe not thinking about Him that much, and something happens, it's unexpected. Unexpected. It can it can throw ripples into my life. Maybe you've been there. Um, like the time this year when a brand new kid in the nest, a really young kid, wondered what it would be like to pull the handle on that red box back on the wall. Yep, we got a visit from the TOAFD, the town of Argyle Fire Department. I'm glad Suzanne dealt with that kid. (laughs) Well, being close to God makes the hard times easier and the good times better. So here are some verses to help you draw close to God's presence. The first one one of you sent me this week, Psalm 16, verse 11. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forever. People are looking for the meaning of life. They don't know. And some people find it or try to find it in romance, some in material things, some in a bottle. But each one will let you down. It won't last. Experiencing God will, it will last. Now, I'm not as close to the Lord as some. But I've been a Christian for 46 years. And I can tell you the changes that God has made in my life and the improvement. There is more peace, there is more joy. You know, before, what I remember about life before Christ was the emptiness. I tried to fill it by having a girlfriend. Well, what happens when a relationship is not built on a godly foundation? It crumbles. I tried to fill it by being in a rock and roll band with fellow friends. The friends fought and the band broke up. Sometimes people think, well, fame, if I could just get fame, then I'd be happy. I don't think so. All those things may satisfy for a while, but like a drug habit, It takes more and more just to get to that point. And it will not last, certainly not forever. The thing that they do is they fill up the space that was meant for God, the one person who can provide meaning for the life, the one person who does love us unconditionally, can meet our needs. Next verse, Jeremiah 33:3, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God's people are highly esteemed and invited into the presence of the king. Just wrap your minds around that. God invites us into his presence. Hebrews tells us we have access to God in his throne room. This first verse talks about calling upon God. I get up in the morning and uh, the first thing I do usually is to put coffee on. And I get my coffee and I go into the computer room. And I sit down. And some days I open with a memorized prayer. Heavenly Father, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit. And sometimes I'll think about the coffee that he's allowed me to have and thankful for that and I will thank him. But the thing that really grabs me about that is he is king of the universe. In fact, the theme of God from some people perceiving it is the kingdom of God. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, Psalm 145 says. And we can go into the presence of the king He welcomes us. I got to tell you, when I start thinking of it that way, I begin to wake up and enjoy prayer. God invites us to call on him. And I suspect if we keep on asking, keep on seeking him with a good heart, and keep on persevering in prayer, he will show us things. Perhaps we're looking for him to lead us. Sometimes he may just bring a Bible verse to mind at those times. I know a fellow believer, and uh, he was in a particular business, and he had an opportunity. Somebody was bringing cash to the table, and he had the experience and the knowledge, and so they were going to form a business together. It could be very lucrative, but he prayed about it first. And God brought to his mind a Bible verse. Do not be unequally yoked. The address is 2 Corinthians 6.14. The full verse says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. In other words, don't tie yourself up with an unbeliever. Don't throw your lot in with someone who does not share your values and your belief in God. You may be praying for an open door right now. I can remember when one job ended, and I began to pray for God's leading in that area. Two positions seemed to be opening up at the same time. So I prayed again, Lord, please shut one door and open the other. And that's what he did. I'd been interviewing for a Christian university And it had gone very well, and so I'd made it to the next level. But the next interviewer decided to go with a different candidate. And God opened another door, and I have thanked him for that. Well, are we calling on God? Maybe once? How about if we do it daily? Psalm 46, verse 10, has been a comfort for many. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We get caught up with so many things in life, and when life is busiest, accomplishing tasks seems like batting down flies. Years ago in the old building, where we had a gymnasium, and that's where we did our our meals and things and our coffee. Um, On Saturday, we'd had a, a burger fest. It had been a long day, and so we just stuffed all the trash in the garbage cans and left. Well, I come in the next morning. I'm the first person there, and I go into the gymnasium, which is where we go for coffee. That gym was filled with flies. And I'm thinking... This is the first place people go. And I've invited visitors. I don't want them to see this. So I head for the kitchen and I grab a fly swatter. And I go to work. Pop, 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 pop. And I'm counting as I'm doing this. Over a hundred (laughs) flies. And I'm just busy swinging right and left. And sometimes life is like that. Have you been there? I bet you have. And sometimes when that's true, I'm not really connected with the Lord. I'm just busy doing things, thinking I'm really accomplishing something. Sort of like when I'm a pastor and I feel something has to be done. We need a youth pastor. Uh, I'll put in an ad. Uh, People respond. I talk to them. I do the interviews, I call the references, I hire, deed done, accomplished. But did I really accomplish God's will? Or was I moving so fast that I didn't take time to let him work? That's what I'm saying. I think sometimes we're so busy, maybe even don't have to be. Maybe we're filling up our time with things and we just don't take time to hear from God, to experience communion with Him. You know, I think we have such a large view of events and life. Sometimes it results in a small view of God. Let's change our minds. Let's have a large view of God and a smaller view of everything else. Our God is great One day he will look at the world, which is at war with itself and with him. And he will blow. And those nations will disappear. That's the God we have. That's the God we serve. Can we slow down enough to reflect on our great God? Psalm 42, verses 1 to 2. Another familiar one. As the deer pants for streams of water, so pants my soul for you, my God. The writer begins with this thirst, this desire that he has for God. But then he goes on. And I think a lot of times we've missed the flow of this psalm. Because listen to what he says next. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Sometimes it seems like God is distant. Not just to each of us, but even to the psalmist. It seems like God has gone on vacation and you don't know when he's going to come back. And you'd like to hear from him. You'd like to be able to stand in front of him and talk to him. Job had that kind of experience. But God may seem distant for a time. Let's be honest. Sometimes there are those dry times when we don't feel like we're communing with God. But in this verse and those that follow, the writer feels like he can't find God. That it's... It's something that just eluded him. But he draws from his past experience to try to help him guide, guide himself through this distance that he feels. And he asks himself why he's so dejected and filled with turmoil. And then, finally, he urges himself in spite of darkness to put his hope in God. So if you're feeling distant from God, if you're feeling like things are going wrong and he's not there to fix it, the psalmist says, hold on. Keep your focus. Put your hope in God. Well, perhaps you're in a dark time. Remember the goodness of God and his people, uh, goodness of God to his people in the past. And put your hope wholly on God. Allow Him time to work. He just may make things beautiful in its own time. Psalm 9 says this The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. God is the true eternal King who rules. As a result, he executes judgment on the nations, acting with fairness on behalf of the oppressed and the afflicted. He is a champion of those who are persecuted, providing a secure refuge for those who seek him. And then we read, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken Those who seek you. I reflect on some individuals I've known in the past. One was the president of a Bible college. And he had a need, a staffing position, and he had a son that he felt like would do well in that. But the son was a police officer, and he was making a regular salary. And uh, he had a wife and several children to provide for. But he was doing okay financially. So he did accept this job, felt he was called to serve the Lord. But he did worry about providing for his family. How's he going to be able to do this? I used to make here, and now I'm making here. And his father simply said to him, Lee, you've trusted God for your salvation. You can trust him for a hamburger still rings true. James 4.10 Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What's promised here? If we, what? Humble. Humble ourselves. God will exalt us. If we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. One thing that's deaf to walking with the Lord is pride. Pride will sever our relationship in a heartbeat. God is a humble God. Jesus Christ, his son, was also humble. We saw that when he walked on the earth. He left the grandeur of heaven being The Son of God, worshiped by the angels, came down to earth. Was he born in a high palace? No, where? Yeah, yeah, perhaps in a stable. He didn't seek for himself. He didn't seek glory. Uh, He endured hardship. He didn't have a home. He traveled without much means of support. And then came time for him to accomplish what his father sent him to do. And he died. Death on a cross, no less. The ultimate in humiliation. And he is our model. Why? Because he willingly obeyed God by humbling himself. And then God does what this verse talks about. God exalted him. And God wants to do similar things with us. He wants us to be willing to be humble, to not always take the best seat, to not always seek attention for ourselves, not always promote ourselves, but to simply be humble. And in due time, God will do what? Exalt us. Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That must have been glorious. Can you imagine the glory of God coming down from on high and filling the tent of meeting in the Old Testament where Moses stood? Being able to watch that must have been glorious, to see God's glory nearby. But what does God do today? Does he fill an old building in Jerusalem today? No. What does he choose to fill today with his glory? You. You are indwelt with God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are a temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer from the moment he or she trusts Christ as their Savior. It's been that way since the day of Pentecost. In fact, Romans 8 says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not a Christian. All Christians have the indwelling presence of God. And he wants to guide us and to lead us. He wants to commune with us. So, how do we apply this to our lives? What difference does it make for us? Well, let's respond to God. Especially when conviction is based on the word of God. If God brings some verse we've memorized or some verse we've heard to mind, maybe he's guiding us with that. Go to the scriptures for guidance. And if anything is leading us away from the Lord, let's not let those things crowd out God's leading. Not business, not materialism, not even other people, if they would lead you in a different direction than the Lord wants. My mother was a great person. She was a fabulous mom. We never missed a meal. If we had any medical needs, she was always there. And it's more than just meeting our needs. She was there as a companion, as a friend, taught us how to do things, play chess, play checkers, um, many things that she was a blessing. When I uh, grew up in a home, um, I didn't trust Christ until I was 19. I was at a, at a college college, in the Dallas area, and after college, I worked for a couple of years, and so I'm about three years old in the Lord, and I just had this hunger at this time. I wanted to serve God. I was involved in ministry, but I didn't know the Word of God. I didn't know cheese from chalk when it came to the Word of God, and so in my heart, I wanted to go and learn more about the Bible, and so I did what Alice is getting ready to do. I decided I'm going to take a year And I'm going to go study the Bible. And the place that I knew, the place where people who had impacted my life, they'd come from Florida Bible College. So I uh, finish out my lease on my apartment. I move my things back home, store them up, stay with my parents a week. And I'm getting ready to go to Florida Bible College. And really for the first time, my relationship with my mother was pretty frosty. She had desires for my brother and me. For my older brother, she wanted him to, who had worked with my dad in his business, she wanted him to take over the business. Now, for me, she wanted me to become a CPA. Now, she had been a bookkeeper, had gone and done some college, but had not been able to finish. Her dream job would have been to become a CPA. And I think she wanted to live that dream through me. But I'd finished two years of college. I'd taken bookkeeping, and i got to be honest with you. I didn't do very well. I once asked a bookkeeper who knew me well, had watched me for years, do you think I would have been a good CPA? (laughs) That's not where my heart was. My heart was learning the Word of God, studying it, living it out. And so even though my mother's intentions were good, I had to follow what the Lord wanted me to do. So let's not let other people or things or a job or materialism or anything else take God's place. Let's keep that communion with him fresh. Let's try to live out and practice the presence of God. Father God, we thank you that you do indwell us. Father, you're everywhere present, and now you are present in us. You indwell us. Father, we have this deep, abiding relationship with you. We thank you for that. We pray, Father, that we won't take that for granted. I, I confess too often I turn to the TV or to other things when I could spend that time with you. I pray, Father, that you help all of us draw close to you in the coming days and experience that wonderful, loving relationship from a Father who loves us more than we love ourselves. Father, we'll give you the praise if you make this happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.